Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. Isn't it awesome to be in the presence of God and uh, be able to worship together? Every time I, I, I think about that statement, I don't ever want us to take it for granted. The fact that we can uh, join together in this room. Come on, the church is not a building, but aren't you thankful that we have a building that we can come to and worship and, and uh, your kids can be invested in and kids ministry and we're so thankful for that opportunity. Uh, man, I was down here during worship and I just, I don't know if you know this or not, but God's doing something in our church. And God wants to do something in your life. Come on, two people believe that, that God is doing something in your life and God is doing something in our church. I believe it's significant. And it was just, man, it was on my heart while we were worshiping that God was like, I'm doing something, I'm doing something, I'm doing something. So I want to encourage you to lean in to what it is that God's doing. And maybe it's an individual thing for you. Um, man, I, we got the opportunity this last week to see uh, hundreds and hundreds of of teenagers going after God and it was it was an incredible time uh, man to see see young people just hungry for the Lord and my prayer is that we would not outgrow come on somebody that we would not outgrow hunger for God that it would not be something that man we're just passionate about until we turn 23 and now we're an adult so we have to be sophisticated and uh, we can't go after God like we used to amen um, I want to invite you out to serve day you just heard it in the announcement but um, Saturday, July the 9th, we've been talking about this for the last few weeks. On that Saturday from 8 to 12, we're going to be serving all across our city. We have 16 different teams um, that you uh, can choose one of those teams to be a part of. And we want you to go on the app, click on the events tab. You'll see Serve Day 22, and you'll be able to see all those teams. And uh, this is one opportunity every year. We have multiple Serve Days all throughout the year. This is one opportunity every year where we uh, just invite 100% participation. You've never been to a Serve Day before? Come out and be a part of this one because we have an opportunity to serve in so many locations uh, to really do things for people in our community and organizations in our community that otherwise may not get done or maybe they don't have the resource or the people and we get to be the resource and the people and give of our time. So uh, July the 9th, we want you to be here. That morning we'll circle up and pray at 8 and then we're going to head out to all of our different teams and locations and projects and we're going to serve people. We're going to serve God by serving people. Um, today is part 6 of a series that we're in for the entire summer that we're calling Red Letters. And hopefully this series has been a blessing to you. Uh, it's, been, it's been impactful for me even going back and reading all of the things that Jesus said in the Bible. How many of you believe that if Jesus is our example, Jesus is the Savior of the world, that what Jesus said in the Bible actually matters? That we need to read it and we need to apply it to our lives and we need to do something with it. Not just read it and it go in one ear and out the other, but how can, what does that mean for me? How do I apply that to my life? And so that's what we're doing in this series is just focusing in on things that Jesus said. And I once again want to encourage you, man, we have a podcast, a website, uh, the Church Center app. You can even watch the messages on YouTube. If you've missed any of the messages, today's part six of this series. So if you missed any of the first five, uh, go on one of those platforms and check out the one that you missed. Or maybe you want a refresher, go back and do that. But for part six of this series, I've titled the message today, Cultivating Unity. Cultivating Unity. How many of you believe that there needs to be unity? There needs to be unity. Um, God never designed the church to not be unified. Um, Jesus did not, did not die on the cross and uh, the church began so that we could all be divided. 
and we could just all do our own separate things. What does it mean to cultivate? Uh, to cultivate something, this is just the definition of it, means to try to acquire or develop something. You are trying to acquire or develop something. Um, we can cultivate kindness in our kids. Come on, can I get an amen right there? We're trying to cultivate kindness in our kids. You know, you want to be kind. You want to be kind. You need to be kind. That's what Christians do. We're kind, right? We can cultivate relationships in our lives. I mean, you know, when you were, when you were dating somebody or what, like you were trying to cultivate that relationship, right? I've heard people, you know, talk about how they pull, like for months, you know, uh, one pastor said for months, the, the, the woman I was dating that he's now married to, he said she never knew that there was a bad side to my car because I was trying to cultivate the relationship. I was always pulling up on the good side of the car. So that she, that's all she would see, right? We're trying to cultivate that. Uh, we can cultivate passion for God. I think that the more that you spend time in prayer, the more you spend time in God's word, the more you spend time in relationship with other believers, the more time you spend being in God's presence and joining together in church services like this, you're cultivating passion for God. Passion for God starts to kind of wane off. It starts to kind of disappear whenever you stop cultivating it. God never moves, and God never removes his passion from your heart. We get distracted by other things in our life, and passion starts to fall away, and now we're not as passionate about God as we once were. We need to cultivate passion for God. We can cultivate an atmosphere of worship. We can cultivate. That's why worship is such an important part of what we do as a church service. That we have that intimate time where, man, we're just trying to cultivate an atmosphere of worship. We have nights of worship where, hey, the entire purpose of this is for us to join together and worship God together. We can cultivate a system for discipleship. You know, there are so many things that we can cultivate, but to cultivate something as in the context of unity today means that we're trying to acquire it. We are trying to develop it. And when I think about cultivating something in my life, I think about intentionality intentionality if we're going to cultivate something we have to be intentional and here at impact you know we try really really hard to be intentional about the things that we cultivate because we want for you what god wants for you we don't want to have just some cool programs and some cool classes and some cool services and man you know i go to that church and man you should come to that i gotta think we don't want to just be you know have all these cool things we want to cultivate something in your life because we want for you what God wants for you. And maybe you're here today and you don't even really know exactly what it is that God wants for you. Well, hopefully, as you continue to come back and you get in a group and you begin to serve and you get around other people that are serving God and serving people, hopefully you'll begin to discover what it is that God wants for you because we want for you what God wants for you. And that's why we do everything that we do here. And one of the things that we desire to cultivate as a church is unity in the church. But here's what's important about cultivating unity. It takes intentionality on all of our parts to see unity. If we want to be unified, it takes intentionality on everybody's behalf. Unity doesn't happen accidentally. Unity does not happen by chance. It doesn't, it's, a, it's a deliberate decision, an intentional decision to be unified. That we will cultivate unity. I'm not going to let what I feel about this and what you feel about this and what you feel about this cause us to be divided. No, we're called to be unified as the body of Christ. And we've got to be intentional to cultivate it in our lives and in our church. And when was the last time, thinking about this, you know, if you think about being unified in your marriage, when was the last time that you felt unified in your marriage because you were both running separate directions? 
When was the last time you laid down in bed and you're like, you know what, you just did your thing all day and all week and all month and I did my thing and we're just running in separate directions and you laid down and you looked at each other and you thought, I feel so close to you. I feel so unified in our marriage. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. When you're running one way and I'm running another way, we will not be unified. There's not unity there. When was the last time that your team at work was unified toward a common goal because everybody was doing their own thing their own way? Everybody was just running like, you're doing it this way, and I'm doing it this way, and you're doing it that way, and you're doing it this way. And man, we're just so unified, and we're just accomplishing the goal that was set out for us. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen just because you're doing your thing, and I'm doing my thing. No, unity is intentional. It's intentional. And if you've been coming to church here uh, for any period of time, you know that at the end of all of our services, we always have this uh, intentional moment where people can receive prayer. And we'll have, at the end of this service, we're going to have people down at the front where you can receive prayer. And I was thinking about this as I was preparing this message, that how many, how many times, you know, do you come, if you've come for prayer, you ever had like a, a per, you saw who, like who was down here, and you're like, man, they prayed for me once before, and then it was like God did something in my life, and so when I go for prayer, like I want to go to them. You ever done that before? Right? You're like seeking somebody out, like I want you to pray for me. Because the last time you prayed for me, I felt something when you prayed for me. And so I want to come to you and I want you to pray for me. And then I started thinking, what would it be like if Jesus was down at the front at the end of the service? Can you imagine the line of people? It would be like everybody's down here, Jesus is down here. you imagine the line of people that would be waiting for Jesus? Like, I want him. (laughs) I want Jesus to pray for me. Like, I've read some things in the Bible, and if anybody can pray for me, I want Jesus to pray for me. Well, did you know? Did you know that Jesus has actually prayed for you? And there's actually a prayer in the Bible where Jesus prayed for you and me 2,000 years ago. And there's this instance in God's word where Jesus is praying for us. And here's what he prayed. John chapter 17, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about his disciples that were with him. He's just prayed for them. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Somebody say, that's me. That's me. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays that we would be unified. He prays that we would be one. Jesus prayed that our unity, that this unity that we would have, would cause other people in the world to believe. He says, I want them, here's what I'm praying for the church. Here's what I'm praying for every single person who will believe because of what is about to happen, because of what is about to take place, because the church is about to begin and it's going to start right here, but it's going to spread. And every person that hears this message and believes, here's what I'm praying for them, that they would be one, that they would be in unity, that they would be unified. Unity is a powerful thing. I want to read this story to you that I found as I was as I was preparing and reading some things, it says, Hundreds of years ago, there ruled a king over a vast and rich empire. Peace and prosperity reigned in his kingdom. 
His ministers were all wise and learned men. His chief minister was the wisest of them all, and he gave sound advice to the king. The king's prosperity was largely due to the chief minister's advice. One day, a question came to the king's mind. The question was, which thing has the most power and strength? He brooded over this problem for a long time, yet did not get the answer. At last, he summoned his chief minister and put the question before him. The chief minister at once replied, Unity is the most powerful thing. There is great strength in unity. He narrated to him a story to explain this point, and the story goes like this. A black cobra lived in the hollow of a tree. The tree was near a field. He was very ferocious and poisonous. He never hesitated to bite other creatures. Near his hole, there was a termite hill. Whenever the termites came out, the cobra would attack them and eat some of them. One day, he decided to slither through the tiny hole of the termite hill and eat more termites. However, his body could not squeeze through the tiny hole. The walls of the hole wounded his body. The termites saw, saw him trying to enter their hole. They bit him. Somehow, he managed to escape and slither through the field to its other side. On the other side of the field, there was an ant hole. The ants were, at the same time, out of their hole to collect food. The snake saw them and ate a few of them. When the other ants saw him, they decided to attack. Soon they all united together and formed a large army and attacked the cobra. The united ants were able to kill the huge snake. The king heard the, chief's, the chief minister's story and understood that unity has great strength. The chief minister further told him that great is the country whose people remain united. If people fight among themselves, the country does not prosper and its enemies get a chance to attack and defeat it. A king's happiness depends upon the prosperity of his subjects and kingdom. Therefore, it is the duty of the king to keep his people united. I read that story this last week, and I thought, how much strength and power is there in unity? And I know this is a silly illustration, and there's this snake that comes upon these ants, and ants are these little bitty creatures. But when they decided to unify together... To unite together, all of them together in unity, working toward the same goal, attacking the same enemy. Come on, somebody. They were able to kill that snake. Not because they were bigger individually. Not because they were more ferocious individually. But because when they united together, there was power and there was strength. And I believe this is the purpose of Jesus' prayer for us. Is that he desires to keep his people united because there is power and strength in unity. And I would submit this thought to you this morning that great is the church of Jesus Christ when its people are united. Great is the church when the people are actually united and not divided. It's interesting to me how Jesus makes a statement that we're so familiar with. This is John 16, 33. And we could all probably quote this once I start reading it. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then immediately after this, go read this in your Bible. Immediately after this, the next verse, Jesus starts praying. And he prays that he would be glorified. He prays for his disciples, and then he prays for the church to be in unity. Right after he tells his disciples, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now let me pray for you. 
You're going to have trouble and there's going to be difficulty. And here's what I hear in this, that Jesus goes right into beginning to pray that he would receive glory, that his disciples, he prays for his disciples, then he prays for the church as a whole, everybody that would believe because of them. He says, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I've already overcome the world. And then he prays for them to be unified. In the midst of all the trouble and in the midst of all the chaos and in the midst of everything that I've just taught you, Now let me pray for you, and here's his prayer. He's not praying simply that we would get along. Unity is not equal to getting along. Getting along is a byproduct of unity. But just because I get along with you does not mean we are unified. Jesus, he's not praying. He's not saying that he hopes that we'll feel some form of love for each other. He didn't say, Lord, help them to feel love for one another. Help them to feel some kind of love for one another in the midst of as they go about their life and as they form the church and as they're following me. Help them. He doesn't pray for that. He prayed for a union that resembles what he and his heavenly father had. He says, I want them to be one like we're one. That I'm in you and you're in me and we're a part of the same. I want them to be that way. I want them to be that way. I want it to be like if the devil decides to attack somebody, he's attacking everybody. That if the enemy's trying to come against somebody's family, that he better watch out because he's coming against everybody's family. That there's a unity in the body. I want them to be one. I want them to, be, to come to complete unity. The type of unity that Jesus is praying for is a unity that looks the same as him and his father. Paul wrote this to the Corinthian believers. He said this in 1 Corinthians 12. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresent or unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lacked it. So that, look at this, there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other if one part suffers every part suffers with it if one part is honored every part rejoices with it paul says here's the way that that christ set up the church and set up the body that there would be no divisions i can't look at you and think you know because you do this with your life and this is what god's purpose is for you you're more important than me and you can't look on this stage today and think well pastor gabe is more important than me because look at what god's called him to do no there would be no division that there would be unity That we would all work together. That there would be equal concern for each other. No division in the body. I was thinking about when the 120 were in the upper room and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, what began the church. There was unity. There was unity. We're here for the same thing. We're here for the same purpose. We got one mind on this. Like, we have one heart on this. Like, this is what we are here for. We are unified. I was thinking about this. Did you know that it's possible for all of us to be gathered here in the same place but not be in unity? It's possible for all of us to come into this building and sit in a seat and hear the same songs and hear the same message but not be in unity. It's possible for you to call yourself a a member of Impact Church and me to call myself a member of Impact Church but not have unity. And it's possible 
that maybe God isn't able to do everything that he desires to do through us because of a lack of unity. That we're just moving in our own separate directions but not working toward the same goal. Man, Jesus prayed for you and me to be unified. For us to be one. And there's so much strength and power in unity. And so, since there is so much strength and power and effectiveness in unity, and this is what Jesus prayed for the believers, I want to help us identify a few things. I want to help us identify a few enemies of unity. And then I also want to talk to you at the end of the message about how we can cultivate unity. So I want to talk about some enemies of unity that you may see in your life, that I may see in my life. Man, and I was, as I was going through these things, and preparing this message, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, you need to pay attention. You need to pay attention to what I'm putting on your heart. Because I want the church to be unified. I want the church to be unified. So, so enemies of unity, here's the first one, pride. Pride is an enemy of unity. What is pride? Here's what pride is. It's a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements. I think, I think pride looks like, look how good I did. But look at what I've built. Look at what I've accomplished. Look, how, look at what I'm able to do. Look at, look at how much God has gifted me. Look at what I've been able to do. I've, I've worked hard. I've done this in my own strength. And we don't say it that way sometimes, but it's really how we feel. I want us to look at some of these verses that, man, there are a lot of verses in the Bible that warn against pride. A lot. I just want to read a few. This is Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. It says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 16, 5. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall. James 4, 6, but he gives, he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Pride is an enemy of unity. You show me a bunch of proud people together, I'll show you a bunch of people that are disconnected. That are just in it for themselves. Just in it to try to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Pride's an enemy of unity. And how do we know if we're walking in pride or if we're causing division instead of unity? Just some things that I put down that I felt like the Lord spoke to me. We want credit or recognition. You ever done something and you got mad because nobody recognized that you did it? I have. Maybe that's pride. We feel like we're better than other people. We begin looking down on others. We're no longer focused on our need for God. You ever got to the place to where you were, you, you were no longer focused on how much you needed God in your life because of where you felt like you were at? And you felt like you were in this place and you had gotten yourself here and maybe God had even come through in some situations and then you found yourself in that place and after you found yourself in that place, you were no longer really relying on God? I think that's a form of pride. Now I feel like I've arrived, I've got this. I got it. 
and I no longer need God in my life. My, my quiet time becomes a little more non-existent. I'm not as consistent in prayer as I once was. I don't read my Bible as often because I don't, I don't, I don't feel the need for it now. I don't feel like I'm in a desperate place anymore. And so I've kind of disconnected from God in a way. Another one that I felt like, felt in my heart was, how do we know if maybe we're walking in pride? We desire to pass other people instead of help other people. Like, I'm just looking for you to get out of the way so I can get where God's taking me. Instead of bringing people alongside and helping those around us and discipling other people. And why does God warn us so much about pride? I think it's because pride is an enemy of the love and unity that he desires for his followers. He wants us to, he says, you're going to know, they're going to know that you're my disciple by the way that you love each other. And I'm praying for you. I'm praying that there would be unity. I'm praying that you would be one. I'm praying that there would be no division among you. Pride never looks good on us. It hurts others. It hurts ourselves. It brings opposition from God. And it is an enemy of any kind of unity. Here's the second one. Talked about pride. Here's another enemy of unity. Selfishness. Selfishness. And this one seems, you know, pretty common sense. But what is selfishness? It's lacking consideration for others. Concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. Um, you ever tried to get somebody to agree with you or tried to agree with somebody on something who was always just looking out for themselves? Like, I want us to be, I want us to be unified in this. I want, us to, like I want us to come to an agreement. I want us to be able to move in the right direction. But if you're only concerned about your opinion and your take on it, and they're only concerned about their opinion and their take on it, it's hard to be in unity when we're being selfish. Because I'm just looking out for me. I just want what, what God, like I want what God wants for me, and you want what God wants for you, and that's a good thing. But here's the thing, God's called us to work together as the body of Christ and to be unified, moving in the same direction toward the same goal that God wants us to accomplish while we're here on the earth. I was thinking uh, a great example. You ever took a picture with somebody? Last week we had Father's Day and out here we had the, the photo area. You ever, you ever gotten in a picture and somebody took your picture and then you were like, let me see, let me see, let me see. Who were who you looking for in the picture? You weren't looking for your kids and you weren't looking for your spouse. Who are you looking for in the picture? You know what you use to determine whether or not it's a good picture? How you look. And if you look at the picture, listen, we all do this, and you look at the picture and you're like, mm, nah, let's take it again. And, every, and somebody else looks at the picture like, everybody's smiling. Yeah, but that's not my good side. I want to stand on this side. of Because we're so concerned about how we look in the picture. And it's a perfect example of how we can get off and not be unified. It's because we're just more concerned about how we look in the picture. Am I getting everything that I want in the picture? Is that my good side? Like, is my smile, and, and you take another picture, and everybody else, like, you know, two of your kids can be looking off, but you've got that perfect angle and that perfect smile, and you're like, that's the one. <laughs> Framing it, putting it on canvas, hanging it on the wall, right? Because it's our natural tendency. If somebody takes a family picture, you immediately look for you in the picture. I want to see how I look. Was my hair messed up? Did I do my makeup right? Was it the right angle? Oh, it's bad lighting. Like, we're always looking for ourselves in the picture. 
And it's just a natural tendency, isn't it, to lean into selfishness. We look out for ourselves first. We filter many of the decisions we make based on what's in it for us. You know, you hear somebody, listen, and I'm just talking to you about enemies of unity. If we're going to accomplish what Jesus prayed that we would accomplish, being one, being unified, then we have to lay selfishness down and we have to lay pride down. Say, you know what, it's not about me and what I'm going to get out of this. what, What direction are we moving in together? How are we accomplishing God's purpose on the earth together? I want to be in unity. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be prideful. If we're going to cultivate unity as believers, we're going to have to fight the tendency to always just look out for ourselves. Is it convenient for me? I don't know. It's not about convenience. It's not about comfort. You know, I heard somebody say one time that nothing great ever came out of a comfort zone because you're comfortable. You're not being stretched. You're not being challenged and you're not moving forward you're just content in your comfort zone i like what paul said this is what he says in philippians chapter 2 therefore if you have any encouragement from being united with christ if any comfort from his love if any common sharing in the spirit if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love being one in spirit and of one mind do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit Rather, in humility, look at this, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. When was the last time you said, man, I'm going to serve today because I'm looking out for the interest of other people? I'm going to serve today because I'm valuing other people above my comfort and above what I want to do. I'm going to get in a group because I know that this is what God has for me. I'm going to value that above my comfort of just staying home disconnecting and i know i'm getting in your business for a minute but i think that i think that selfishness and pride that they 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 sneak in in different ways and it just comes in like a little crack in the door and then before you know it all you can think about and look out for is yourself and you've lost the heart of what god designed the church to be and for what god designed the church to do selfishness will never lead us to be in unity together here's the the third enemy of unity We've talked about pride, selfishness. Here's the third one, distraction. Distraction. What is distraction? It's a thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. Um, you ever been distracted? Anybody ever been distracted? Some of you are distracted right now. <laughs> you see something, right? Don't we, we do this? We're sitting somewhere and it's like we catch something out of our peripheral vi- vision and we're like, you know, distracted. You ever been at work trying to get something accomplished and then your, your phone goes off and now all of a sudden you're distracted? You know, one of the, one of the, the best things I think I ever did, just to kind of let you in on a little secret, you can do this on your iPhone, um, I set up a do not disturb to come on and go off automatically at certain times so that I won't be distracted. Because I know that this, this part of the day is important. And I don't need to be distracted because I need to focus on this. Like, this is my quiet time in the morning. And so my phone's on do not disturb because I don't need to be distracted by something else. I don't need to be distracted by a text message that comes in that then starts me thinking about this. That then I'm reminded that I need to contact that person who needs to call that person who needs to get the car out of the shop that needs to do this thing over here. And then all of a sudden, the five minutes that you were spending with God 
Now you're up because you can't even focus anymore, and you're like, you know what? Oh my gosh. Now you're overwhelmed because it's like, I don't have 30 minutes to spend with God because I got to call that person that's got to call that person that's got to get the car out of the shop. You're distracted. And distraction is an enemy of unity. If we're all sitting in this room and we're all a part of the same body of believers, but you're distracted by this and I'm distracted by that and you're dist- distracted by something else, then we're not in unity. Because you're, you're distracted, so you're, you're trying to accomplish this, and I'm distracted, so I'm trying to accomplish this, and distraction becomes an enemy of unity. And we're no longer moving in the same direction. We're no longer unified in our faith in Jesus and following after him and accomplishing what his mission is because we're distracted. A perfect um, example of this is a story that everybody's familiar with, I'm sure, but it's in Luke chapter 10. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had been made. Jesus is in the room and Martha is distracted by the bread in the oven. Martha is distracted, come on somebody, because the pillow on the couch didn't look the way that I wanted it to look when Jesus got here. Martha is distracted because when Jesus walked in, Mary goes over and sits at his feet and says, teach me something, I just want to worship you. And now I'm distracted. And now I'm bothered. Now I'm aggravated and I'm frustrated because I got distracted. Distraction kept them from being unified to both sit at the feet of Jesus. Jesus walks into the room And how many of us, Jesus, listen, here's the great thing. Jesus is in this room, but Jesus is in your car. Jesus is in your house. You know how I know that? Because he said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. He gave you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. Everywhere you go, there he goes. So when you get up in the morning, he's with you. When you go to bed at night, he's with you. When you're at work, he's with you. But distraction, being distracted by other things, not having time set aside, like, you know what, this is what, this is ultimately, I know I've got to work this job and I'm making a living and God has me here for a purpose, but my ultimate purpose is not doing all of these things. My ultimate purpose is following Jesus, following Jesus, accomplishing what it is that God's called me to accomplish. Martha was distracted. And when we get distracted and I begin to go one direction while you go another direction, we end up losing unity. If we're all walking in the same direction, linking arms, and I get distracted, and I disconnect, and I start to walk over here because I'm distracted, and you start to walk over here because you're distracted, now we're no longer unified. And what happens when we're no longer unified is what the Bible talks about as the devil, you know, prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking somebody to devour. And now I'm distracted, and I'm off over here by myself, and I'm no longer in unity as the body of Christ. I'm no longer working toward the same mission and the same goal that Jesus has set before us. And so I become an easy target. And because I got distracted and I, and I am no longer unified, I'm no longer in unity with other believers. I'm, I, I no longer come to church regularly. It's, it's just more like once a month. I no longer, you know, like I, I'm, I'm too busy to be in a group. And so I, I'm just a little bit distracted. And now that I'm distracted and I'm no longer in unity with everybody else and we're no longer going in the same direction, we become easy targets for the enemy. And I know I've said it before, but we have a real enemy who, if he can't stop you, he'll do the next best thing, and that's distract you. And we live in a world, 
distraction. Some of us get distracted immediately in the morning because the first thing we do is we click on the Instagram app on our phone and we get distracted. And now what was going to be a great day that we were going to rejoice in the Lord. Now we're distracted. We click on Facebook and we're distracted. When, we, when we're feeling worried or we're feeling anxious, we get on social media as if it's going to help. Like, this is going to take away my anxiety. This is going to, we're distracted. And distraction is an enemy of unity. It's an enemy of unity. We cannot all be distracted and unified at the same time. We've got to bring it back to, hey, we're all in this together. And so we know that pride, and, and this is not an exhaustive list, but we know that pride we know that selfishness and we know that distraction are enemies of unity. We, we cannot be unified, moving in the same direction, following Jesus, if we're operating in those things in our life. But now I want to talk to you about how to cultivate unity. And I've just got two things really quickly that I want to mention on how to cultivate unity. Here's the first one. It seems simple. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Now I want to read you. I want to read you two verses in Hebrews chapter 12 and then pull something out of this for just a moment. This is what it says, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God of the throne of God. I like the, if you look up this, this phrase about fixing our eyes on Jesus, because he says, hey, we're called to run this race, and here's how we're called to run it, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The only way you can get where you want to go, where God has for you to go, is if you are fixed on the goal. If you are fixed, anybody ever run track and they told you, don't look around, don't look behind you, look at where you're going. The, the quickest way to get where you're going is to focus on where you're going, to fix your eyes on where you're going. But this, the Greek word in the original translation that this writer used, used for fix our eyes, it literally means this, looking away from all else. So while we would think, well, I got to fix my eyes, I got to fix my eyes, I got to fix my eyes, you know what he's saying? He's saying, you're fixing your eyes on Jesus. In other words, looking away from everything else. Because everything else is going to try to distract you from running your race. Everything else is going to try to distract you from being in unity. So you've got to fix your eyes. You've got to look away from everything else. And here's what I felt like the Lord was sharing with me that I want to share with you. Some of us try to look at Jesus and other things in life simultaneously. And so we're living our life and we're trying to follow Jesus. And, and, and then we're trying to follow Jesus and it's like we... We, we have to learn how to look away from everything else and say, you know what, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of my faith. He's the one I'm running after. He has a purpose for my life. And man, can you imagine what the church would look like if there were a bunch of believers that were just fixing their eyes on Jesus? Oh, I'm not going to be distracted by that. I'm not going to be worried about that. I know how all of this turns out in the end. And so I know what Jesus said. He prayed that we would be one and that we would be unified. And I want to be in unity. And we're all going to be in unity. And we're all working toward the same goal and the same mission. We're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. 
Come on, if you've been distracted in the last week, fix your eyes back on Jesus. Look away from everything else and say, you know what the answer is? The answer is Jesus. You know what the solution is? The solution is Jesus. You know who's calling me forward? It's Jesus. You know who has a race set out before me, something, a purpose for my life? It's Jesus. It's not all this other stuff. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. You ever been driving down the road and started gazing at something to the side and noticed that your vehicle began to drift that way? You've been driving, this has happened to me quite a bit. You've been driving down the road and you're looking at something, right? Because I look around a lot when I drive and I'm looking at something over here and all of a sudden you hear that, you know, and like you're on the little rumble strips on the side of the road because you started to drift off the road in the direction that you were looking. You'll always start to drift in the direction you're looking. So where are you looking? Because if you're looking at everything that's going on that has you worried, you're going to live your life worried. You're going to drift that way. And now you're going to be worried. And now you're going to be listening to every news podcast you can because, dear God, we got to know what's going on. And I'm scared today and I'm feeling anxiety and I'm overwhelmed by all this stuff. Or you can fix your eyes on Jesus. And you know what the solution is? The solution is Jesus. You know who I need to fix my eyes on? I need to fix my eyes on Jesus. I need to look away from everything else and fix my eyes on Jesus. Because if I don't, I'll, I'll drift to where I'm looking. Many of you have experienced this. You've been drifting to where you've been looking. And it's gotten you off and you're distracted. But today, God's calling you back to fix in your eyes on Jesus. So that you can be in unity with other believers. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we all fix our eyes on Jesus, we cultivate unity as a body of believers. And here's the second thing. The last thing I want to talk to you about. How do we cultivate unity? We keep our eyes on the mission. We keep our eyes on the mission. Once we take our eyes off our mission and look at ourselves and other people, that's when conflicts, pride, selfishness, and distractions start creeping in. Because we're no longer focused on what God's called us to do. We're focused on what everybody else is doing. And now I'm frustrated because I, I feel like I've been trying to do what God called me to do. Now I'm frustrated because I don't think you're trying to do what God called you to do. And so now there's conflict, and there's selfishness, and there's pride, and I'm distracted by everything else around me. If we're all aiming at the same target, then we'll work together to make sure we hit it. It's when we all start defining what we think the target should look like that causes us to lose focus on the mission. I don't like your target. I'm going to make my own. And now you've got a target over here, and I've got a target over here, and you've got a target over here, and we're all running in different directions trying to hit what we think the target should be. And we're no longer in unity. And do you know that Jesus wants what our vision and mission is as a church, that we would all go toward it in unity? Well, Pastor Gabe, why do we, why do we always have a message on Sundays? 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. When was the last time you were like, I hope somebody rebukes me today? You know, God's word is just, I, like, it, it corrects me, it encourages me, it rebukes me, like... I just hope that I get rebuked today for being distracted or <laughs> being selfish because God's word, that's what God's word does. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Who's the servant of God? You. You. Me. 
We are the servants of God. And it says, listen, all Scripture is God-breathed, and Scripture is useful to teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us for righteousness, so that we will be thoroughly equipped for everything that God has called us to do. The Word of God is what changes us. Well, why do we push grow groups so much? Why in the world are we constantly talking about summer semester, fall semester? How many weeks is this semester? Do I need to show up every time? I mean, is this really that big of a deal? Matthew 28, look at what Jesus said. We all know these verses. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Listen to me. We are called to make disciples. Why are we constantly talking about grow groups? Because sitting in a row is fine. Being in a circle is better. Sitting in a row is good. Being in a circle is better. Sitting in a row is necessary. Being in a circle is even more necessary. We need to be sharpening each other and encouraging each other and training each other and being in God's word together. Why do we always talk about groups? It's because you need it and I need it and it's what we're called to do. Jesus said, go and make disciples. May we never, ever, ever be a church that's just content with having people in seats. Man, when we preach here at this church, we want to be a church that is preaching for life change. There's something that you need to do. God's word, I heard this this last week, I love this statement, you're probably going to hear it a lot. God's word deserves a response. God's word deserves a response. How are you responding to God's word? Is it changing you? Is it transforming you? We're called to be a church that makes disciples. Well, Pastor Gabe, why are we starting to have these prayer nights at the church. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. James 5 16, I love this verse, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is what? Powerful and effective. Why are we starting to set aside time to just pray? Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You want to see something happen in your life? Pray. You want to see God do something miraculous? Pray. You want to see the church be unified? Pray. You want to see God do some amazing things in our city? Pray. Why are we gathering together on the first Tuesday of every month and we spent the entire month of May doing it every single week? It's because prayer matters. Prayer matters. Devote yourselves to prayer. It's when we ask that we receive. It's when we seek that we find. It's when we knock that the door is open. Prayer matters. Well, why why are you constantly talking about you want everyone to be serving somewhere in the church? Why is this such a big deal that I need to be serving? Look at 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. And then he tells us what that looks like as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. In other words, God has given us grace in various forms to do certain things. He has gifted us in different ways. And here's what Peter would tell us. He says, here's what you're called to do with that. Not sit on it. Activate it. And use it. And use what you've been gifted to do to serve other people. You're not here by accident. God has gifted you to be able to serve in some capacity. We're not called to be a church of consumers. We're called to be a church of contributors. I'm going to bring the worship team back. Well, Pastor Gabe, why should we be so concerned with reaching people who haven't been reached? I love this very simple verse. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Seek and to save the lost. 
Why are we so focused? Why, why do we have outreach? Why are we trying to be such a blessing in our community? Why are we trying to, to serve people? Why are we trying to do all of these things? Why is there always an open invitation for anybody to walk in these doors and be accepted without asking any questions, without looking down on anybody? It's because Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost, and I believe that lost people matter to God, so lost people should matter to us. Lost people matter to God, so lost people should matter to us. I want to read this to you, and then we'll, we'll pray. This is something um, I read in a devotional that went along with what we were talking about today and just really hit me, and I think it may you as well. It says, the more we neglect our mission, the less chance we have of seeing true unity. Our common mission is supposed to lead us toward unity. The byproduct of pursuing a common goal is our oneness. Unity is a byproduct of mission. Many churches have forgotten the point of their existence. They can quickly focus on the complaints of their people rather than the cries of the lost. We get more emotional, listen to this, we get more emotional over Christians leaving to go to a different church than we do about people dying and going to hell. We are more distracted by things that are going on than we are about what God has called us to be about. Paul was so fixated on the spread of the gospel that he could rejoice over the gospel being spread even when it was done with wrong motives. There is no greater danger than an eternity apart from God. We need to revive our concern for the destiny of unbelievers. It's when we care about them enough that we will put, put aside our differences to reach them together. It's when we take off, it's when we take off pride and we, we throw down selfishness and we, we quit focusing on all the distractions and we focus on what God's called us to do. That unity is a byproduct of mission. That it's when we care enough about the people that are lost and need Jesus, that's when we'll put aside all of the difference of opinion that we have and we'll work together to reach them. We'll work together to do what God's called us to do. Will you stand to your feet today? Listen to this. Unity was never meant to mean that we would all be the same. You're not like me, I'm not like you. You have different gifts and talents, and I have different gifts and talents. Like, we're never going to be, it's not meant to be uniformity, it's unity. Unity was never meant to, that we would all be the same, but it was meant that we would all use what we have. Our gifts, our resources, our finances, our talents, and everything else that we have to accomplish God's purpose through the church. Unity, when Jesus said, I pray that they are one, I pray that they would experience complete unity. It doesn't mean that we all need to dress the same and look the same and act the same and be the same in every way. And That's not what he's getting at. He's getting at the fact that he wants us all to be on mission together. I pray that they would be not distracted by other things, but they would remain on mission together. That there would be unity in my church. That when one part suffers, that all would suffer. That when one part rejoices, all would rejoice. 
unity. That the gifts that you have, you would use them to accomplish God's purpose. The talents that I have, that I would use them to accomplish God's purpose. The things that God has equipped you with and the resources and the finances and the gift. Come on, it's a gift. The gift that you have to be able to make money. That God would say, I gifted you with that. I gifted you with the ability to start those businesses. I gifted you with the ability to do what you have been able to do. Not so you would just consume everything, but so that you would be on mission. That you would use what I've given you to be on mission. And when I bring mine and you bring yours and we're in unity together, we can accomplish so much more. God can do so much more through us when we are unified all working toward the same mission. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and we're going to sing this song. But before we do that, I just want to ask you one simple question. How do you need to respond to God's Word? How do you, if God's Word deserves a response, deserves application, how, how do you need to respond to God's Word? Have you been, listen, don't feel condemned in any way. God does not condemn us, but the Holy Spirit will convict us that maybe there's an area of our life that we need to change and we need to make a shift and we need to take that to God in prayer because He, does, he desires unity in the body. Not uniformity, but unity. So Lord, today, all across this room, I thank you because I know that you're speaking to your people individually right now. Lord, there are some of us in here that maybe pride has crept in. And today we need to lay that down so that we can be in unity. Maybe there's some of us that we've, we've slipped into selfishness and we've become more concerned about what it is that we need and what we can get out of everything in life. And today you're calling us to lay that down so we can be on mission for you. Maybe we're just distracted. There's so much going on right now around us that we're just distracted and we've lost, we've lost our, our, our intimacy with you. We've lost our passion to follow you and serve you. And today you're calling us back to not be distracted, but to fix our eyes on you, to fix our eyes on what your mission is, that we would be about the things that you are about. So Lord, today I pray that you would show us how do we need to respond to your word. As the prayer team comes, I just want to give you this invitation as you're praying right there standing at your seat, that if you need prayer for anything in your life, you just want somebody to believe with you, agree with you, stand in the gap for you, you don't know what to pray, and you just need somebody to, to speak a word of encouragement over you. And don't let anything keep you at your seat. Whenever we, whenever we, whenever we just lay it all down, say, God, whatever you have for me, that's what I want. that's when we'll be in unity together. God, today we want what you want. We desire what you desire. We want our will to be your will. Lord, today bring us to unity. Lord, let us all today take a step in the direction of being unified, being one as you prayed for us to be one. And Holy Spirit, I pray if there's anybody here today who needs prayer for anything in their life, that you would draw every person for prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.